please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're looking at verses 14 through chapter 7, verse 1. 6.14 through 7, verse 1. Let's pray and then read these verses. Father, we come to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Father, we come to you and we beseech your kingdom, your glory, your throne, your majesty, your mind that you will teach us. May your spirit overwhelm us that we may see truth from error. Father, we may see Christ from Satan. Father, we may bow our knee to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Help us, Lord. Help us to have ears. Help us to open our eyes that we may see. That we may understand these principles, this, this text. And do not corrupt it, Lord. Help us keep from corrupting it. Help us rest full weight on your sovereignty your power, and your majesty, in Christ's name. Beginning in verse 14, chapter 6. Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship is light and darkness? Or what harmony has Christ and Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, Let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. (laughs) This is an amazing text. And get ready because I'm about to downshift to slow down. Now, you guys think, well, he just drags out. Listen, I did 10 points in a sermon in nine weeks. That's fast. Okay. That ain't happening here. That ain't happening here. Here's why. You guys know I love history, right? I was fascinated that Harvard Law School used to. You don't have to worry about it now. They used to teach the letter to the Romans. Okay. As how to argue a case. Okay. If you were going to be in court. You had the background. If you had graduated from Harvard Law School. You would have Paul's teaching. Out of the letter of Romans. On how to argue a case. Now if you spend any time at all. In the letter to the Romans. You will find that Paul takes every argument. That some clown could come up with. And he defeats it. Okay, and I mean, it's a 360 degree argument. Okay, I'm going to take that same principle and apply it to these verses. Because if you ask somebody, what verse do they remember out of 2 Corinthians, which one would it be? It's easy. Verse 14. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. 
Everybody knows that. Everybody's heard that. And I guarantee you, I bet you everybody in this room somewhere at some time has wielded it. Okay? Now, you got to remember, I just went through ten points of love and they bracket this text. And one of the things that I have found in my study is that this text, 14 through 7, 1, is a foundational doctrine of Scripture. Okay? I would even go as far to say it is a cornerstone of understanding how we are to conduct ourselves as Christians. It has far-reaching principles, and I haven't even at this point in my life gotten my head wrapped around the implications. But if I look at 2 Corinthians as ministry, okay, this is ministry. This principle that we're going to deal with over the next few months will be our single greatest asset for our usefulness. It will also be our single greatest asset for blessing. Okay? It's a very familiar text. Everybody, if you have a daughter that is preparing to marry, what is the first verse you flop at her? Huh? Don't be unequally yoked. Or don't be bound with an unbeliever. And you get it here, and I'm still trying to figure out where marriage comes in on this. But, we will deal with this as we go through. I would say that 614, or at least the first half of it, is probably one of the most quoted scriptures out of our lives. Okay? The New American Standard translated bound. Uh, it is actually means to be unequally yoked. It comes from 22.10 of Deuteronomy. I'll look at that in a couple of weeks where it says, do you understand what Deuteronomy is? Okay, the word means second law. Okay, God said, Israel, you're going into the promised land that I promised you, and here's how you're going to conduct yourself in this land. Deuteronomy 22.10 says, do not yoke an ox and a donkey. And part of me says, duh. <laughs> okay. But just in case you were wondering, I don't want you to try to plow a field with a yoke that is pulled by a donkey or a ox. Um, I've, I can't say I'm a, an official expert on plowing fields. I have plowed some fields before. Uh, and the key to it is a straight line. That'd be a little tough to pull off with an ox and a donkey pulling the plow. Okay, I mean, you know, there's more to it than that, but I'll get to that in a couple of weeks. All right, so don't be bound or don't be unequally yoked. Okay, this text is foundational to the Christ life. It is foundational to Christian living. I believe that a misunderstanding and a misuse of this text is the single greatest detriment to your personal ministry. If you are saved this day, you are a minister. 
And I would say that this text right here is the one that defeats most Christians more than any. So I'm trying to get you to understand it is urgent and utmost that you know what this text is talking about. Okay? This is one of those, uh, I used to have an old English teacher who would look at you and say, it is now time to pay attention. Okay? And it really is. Because I guarantee you, when I said this, don't be bound with unbelievers. Haven't we all heard that? And we've all used it. Right? And, and if you've got a daughter, <laughs> you've used it a lot. You know, my daughter, I just told the boys that, do you know that I can hit a pumpkin at 100 yards with open sights? I just want you to know that. Okay, and I didn't have to get into the believer or unbeliever thing. It just, well, okay. <laughs> and you know, it worked out well for me. The foundation of this thing that I think that we miss, okay, is this passage. There's a simplicity in it that we miss, okay? And that simplicity is that this passage gives us two opposing worlds. Hear what I said. They're opposing worlds. Okay, um, you, you can call them kingdoms, uh, you can call them societies, you can call them spheres, you can call them realms. Um, and I, I want you to understand that when I, when I speak of this, I, and this is what I want to kind of deal with today to lay the foundation of where we're getting ready to go, is this is way more than philosophies. Okay, this is way more than I have an idea. Okay, um, you just look through it in a cursory reading. I can see one is described as righteousness, as light, as Christ, as believers, as the presence of God. The other is decide, described as lawless, of darkness. Um, Belial is Satan, so it's satanic has unbelievers and it is only in the presence of idols okay those are the two opposing the two societies the two influences the two kingdoms and let me share with you something they are absolutely inequivocably different okay i have told people this before those of you who know me sometime there are two religions on the planet Earth. Only two. Okay? Just two. One is, you can work your way to God. The other is, by His own pleasure, His mercy, His grace, He redeemed you. That's it. There are any others. Okay, now, we may have different names and all of this for all the false religions. But there's only one true way to God through the person of Jesus Christ. I try to get people to understand that because I deal with pastors occasionally who believe there are a plethora of ways to God. There isn't. One way to God. Innumerable ways to Jesus Christ. 
But only Christ takes you to God. Okay? These two influences, these two kingdoms are incompatible. You cannot mix them. And the Apostle Paul is telling us, telling the Corinthians, there is no possibility. Please hear what I'm saying. No possibility for the people in these two kingdoms to be bound together. They can't do common work together. A common goal together. I read a book a few years ago. Actually, golly, it's been... Probably 20 years ago. And it's called Ecumenical Jihad. And it was written by the foremost uh, apologist of uh, Roman Catholicism. Okay. And when you read this book, if he'd have stopped halfway, he'd have been perfect. The first half of this book, and he was speaking about the moral morass that the United States is in. And he explained, you know, why we are where we are and all the beliefs that have been thrown out to... It's, you heard me made this statement before. I grew up, you cannot legislate morality. Okay, you can't legislate morality. Okay, but what we can do is legislate immorality. Something wrong with that picture. Okay, but when I watch that and I listen to that and you read this guy's writing, the first half of the book is perfect. The second half of the book says, do not be bound with unbelievers. <laughs> See, I said, I could have made that second half a lot shorter. Okay, because what he was saying would fix it was an ecumenical jihad where you could get Protestants and Catholics together and some Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and all these other people together and we can defeat this. No, we can't. You know, I I was listening to people tell me, well, I can't vote for Mitt Romney because he's a Mormon. Well, that's fine. You're going to vote for Obama? What is he? I mean, it's still the same. I mean, if I've got to vote based on whether they're believers or not, Gosh, it sure did make my life simple, didn't it? I don't ever have to vote. And you can't do that. I can't do that. Okay, but I remember a guy also argued one time. He says, you know, it's supposed to get worse as the end of the age comes. So shouldn't we vote for the worst one? I was like, I don't know, I don't know if I could preach that one. But anyway, but, but you see, well, I, I want us to understand something because there are two worlds. There's only two. Please understand that. And I've laid them out. Paul's laid them out. There's two kingdoms. And you can't be bound together with the other one for a common good. A common work of any kind. Do you guys remember back, uh, it's been a few years ago, where they were trying to, they had on the ballot to do away with charitable organizations, uh, non-tax-exempt status. Do you remember that? They had, I can't remember what the amendment was called, uh, but, but they were going to, there would be no more tax exempt status. I mean, everybody was going to pay property tax. And I remember going to a meeting because everybody was freaking out over it. And, and I remember going to a meeting and here we all set all the people who were setting property tax free. Okay. 
Now, you talk about an odd combination. Okay? Of course, you had all kinds of churches. But you also had the presidents and CEO of several hospitals. But the odd one out there was the president of Colorado's Planned Parenthood. And here we all are together trying to defeat this. And I'm sitting there going, God's got to be looking at this going, what in the blue blazes is going on? We can have no partnership. We can have no fellowship. We will not have any harmony. We have absolutely nothing in common. And we have no ability for agreement. It does not and can never exist. It's impossible. It would be easier for you to mix oil and water. We live in two different worlds. Okay? This text, you have to have that foundation to start with. If you don't get a handle on that, then you can use this thing for whatever whatever torture you choose to be involved in. But it'd get goofy on you. Because I watched it. I I remember one time uh, a guy, it's been years ago, I was headed for Los Angeles. Okay, I was going to a, a pastor's conference in Los Angeles. And I was driving. And um, I, I had shared with the congregation after I came back that, you know, how great it was and how, you know, just was awesome and this, that and the other. And the guy came up to me and he says, I got to ask you a question. And I said, OK, what? He says. Did you drive through Las Vegas? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Go look at a map. <laughs> it's the quickest. <laughs> and he says. Well, how could you do that? Well, that's where I-15 goes. (laughs) I mean, it's, you know, what did you expect? He got mad at me. He got mad at me. He says, I can't believe that you were a pastor and you would drive through Las Vegas. I said, you want to know something that's really scary? Our national convention was in Las Vegas. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But you know what was odd about it? He worked at that time for Quest. You know what their number one agenda is? Gay rights. I find that fascinating. You worry about me going through Las Vegas. Now listen, I'm the only one of the few winners in Vegas. There's this seafood buffet that, oh man, at the Rio, that all the seafood you can eat but you have a miserable trip from Vegas to L.A. It's just, oh, it lays on your colon and you just hurt. <laughs> but it's good. I mean, I love seafood. And to have a buffet, all you can eat. And it was like nine bucks. Nine bucks. I ate 50 bucks worth of lobster tails. And we won't get into crabs and all the rest of it. Now, I didn't tell this guy that because, go heaven forbid, <laughs> he would... Uh, Have me, whatever. One of the things you've got to be real careful about when it says do not be unequally yoked or do not be bound is what is he trying to tell us? What is he telling the Corinthians? Okay, and what I I need you to understand is that these two realms, 
These two spheres have absolutely nothing in common. Have nothing in common. If you look at the outline that I've given you, I call it separation. And what you'll see is, I've I've got five points there, is that trying to move back and forth through this is senseless. It becomes idolatrous. It is rebellious. It has absolutely no benefit and it shows a thankless heart. See, one of the things that I've watched in ministry, it is very common. Okay, now, and and it's a tragedy. It is very common for Christians to try to live in both. They want to be in both. You can't. It's impossible. One is old. One is new. One is earthy. One is heavenly. One is deadly. One gives life. One is material. One is spiritual. One is lies. One is true. One is unclean. One is pure. How do you mix those? How do you mix those? Paul's message in this text is to make it clear to you and I, first and foremost, there are two worlds. And you as a Christian can't live in both. You can't deal with both. You don't believe me? Anybody here, okay, anybody, okay, struggle with finances? What world is that in? This world. Okay. You heard, you heard the joke, right? The richest man in the world. Approached by one of God's angels. Said, what would you have God give you? And he says, I want to take all of my earthly riches. Turn it into gold and take it to heaven. So God said, all right. So he put it all in gold. Guy died. He's got this huge, huge bag of gold bars. He's dragging it into the gates of heaven. One of the angels is standing there looking at him and says, what's in the bag? He says, all of my earthly possessions I had turned into gold. He says, so you just brought a bag of pavement with you? Okay. Ain't that what we do? Why? We live in the heavenlies, guys, gals. We live in the spiritual. We live in truth. We live in the presence of God right now. And it has nothing to do with this world. This world is temporal. It's temporary. We live in the eternals. And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to explain to, to the Corinthians and to you and I right now. Is that, you know what? Don't be bound with that. And yet, what do we do? We bind ourselves to it. And, and we do it in small ways. But you've got to be real careful. Because I, and I'm going to go through this in the weeks to come. Because I've watched people. Dude, they do some strange stuff. It's no different than the guy saying, I cannot believe that you drove through Las Vegas. I can't believe you work for a gay-promoting corporation. So I, we're not going to walk out of here and say, you know what, from now on, I'm cashing in my Social Security number. I'm getting rid of all my checking accounts. And if I can't do it on barter, I won't do it. 
You know, all right. <laughs> Go ahead, start without me. Okay? But if you look at what the world has given you as a benefit, can you tell me something that was positive? But think about how much energy each of us puts into thinking and sorting and wrestling with the temporal. How much of us do we put into the true, to the pure, to the spiritual, to that that gives life and life abundantly, to the heavenlies, to the new? Paul's message in this text is to make it clear, clear that there is no possibility on living in both. And you know what? I have watched more ministers be disqualified or not used because they are moving back and forth. They think, and you're not. Let me ask you a question. Can someone here tell me when they taught their children to lie? Anybody here teach their kids to lie? Has anybody here had a kid who did? Where'd they learn that at? There's a school somewhere. And it is very effective school because I've never met a child who hasn't tried it. Right? What world is that in? Okay, but we live in the world of truth. Truth. Okay, so how do we make those two work? How do I mesh those together? Because, and let's be realistic, right now in our society, lying is not that big a deal. Right? True? I mean, it's just, well, you expect it. I mean, if a politician speaks, it's a lie. Okay, so it's not that big a deal. So we kind of just, and we're kind of immune to it. Ah, what the heck, they're just lying. Okay, but do you know that the Bible says that lying is on the same level as homosexuality? And in God's eyes, both are an abomination. See what I'm trying to get at? We get it in our minds, and I want you to grasp this. You've got to get this to understand what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell you here. If you back up just a little bit, chapter 5, verse 17, a summary statement that the Apostle Paul makes. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. I like that next word. Behold! New things have come. New things have come. Too many in the body of Christ right now are trying to move back and forth between the two. And I don't know how you do that in light of 517. If you are a new creation and new things have come, how do you do that? I believe that this is one of the greatest effects on the quote-unquote lack of ministry that exists 
in the body of Christ right now is that people are trying. Now, nobody's going to say, well, you know, tomorrow morning is Monday. And then, you know how Mondays are. They're kind of blasé. So I think I'm going to go live for Satan for the day. And I mean, if you do run into somebody like that, you might want to flee. But nobody's going to get up today. Ha, today, today, I will follow the father of lies. I won't worry about being in the presence of God. You know, I think I'm going to get me a wheelbarrow full of darkness. Try to get me a dump truck of lawlessness today. But that's okay, because on Tuesday we have a men's group who comes together, and we'll all get back into the light, hang out in the presence of God, and, you know, and it'll be just fine. No, here's how we say it. I'm trying to have balance in my life. I had a conversation on Tuesday, I think it was, with a young man who was trying to have balance in his life. And what was going on in his life, I kind of chuckled. Yeah, I did chuckle. Sorry. I just caught a laugh and I just looked at him and I said, well, if it's working so well for you, why are you in my office? Okay. I mean, if balance is working, then you don't need me. Because I don't have balance in my life. I like to hang out on one side. I've read the end of the book. I know which side win. I want the winning side. We are new creatures. The new has come. Salvation has called each and every Christian to the newness of life. Paul or Jesus told John that you will have life and you will have life abundantly. Paul is trying to get across that the Corinthians, as he said in 517, he says, you've entered into the newness. You're already in it. What's the problem? So when I'm reading through this, I'm in the seventh chapter, second Corinthians, and I think, why is this here? I mean, I read we went through first Corinthians, remember, dealing with personal holiness and the corruption that pride has. Why is this here? He lays it out real quick, just cursory words, unbelievers, lawlessness, darkness, Satan, unbelieving idols compared to righteousness, light, Christ, believers, the temple of God, the temple of the living God. He lays it out. Okay. And he's basically laid it out and says, hey, there's two spheres here. There's two realms here. There's two. Only two. And the Corinthians were trying to live and work in both. Salvation had come. The Corinthians had entered into the newness. They were in the heavenly. They were in the life-giving. They were in truth. They were in spirit. They were in kingdom of God. God and they were in the light and they were in the presence of God and the righteousness of Christ. You once was a slave to sin. You are now a slave to Christ. Paul is saying there is no possibility of having a relationship of any intimacy 
with the old, earthly, deadly, materialistic, full of lies, lawless, darkness, satanic, and idolatrous realm. Please understand that. You've got to understand that. It's... I, in, in my life, and it, it's kind of comical, if it wasn't so tragic, it'd be even funny, but I have the opportunity to deal with all kinds of people, okay? Um, I, I remember telling some of you years ago, with my background in life, I thought that my ministry would be among the bikers and the druggies, okay? And God said, there you go, thinking again. And he said, no, your ministry will be among the Pharisees. And I was like, can, can I have the bikers and the druggies? <laughs> They're easier. Okay? Because what I found as a pastor, I have to deal with the quote-unquote religious. Uh, and I'll be honest, they're a pain in the neck. I know why Jesus looked at them as you brood of vipers. You're a bunch of poisonous snakes. Now, I don't run around and tell, tell people that. Don't ever think I haven't fought it, but I haven't told them. And what I, dawned on me is, is that if there's just these two worlds, you're either in one or you're in the other. And one of the tragedies that I see in Christendom is that we try to balance it. Okay, and I, listen, over the next few weeks, I am going to get every single one of you's toes. Guaranteed. Because I told you, I'm doing this text just like the Apostle Paul did Romans as the professors at Harvard would argue a case. And I already know all of your questions. I've already been asking them. I've been asking them for weeks and weeks and weeks. Well, what does this have to do with... And what does this... It's real clear. It's real simple. Because I know what people are going to think. Well, it just means... Have you ever... You know what the monastic life is? Where you go get some real old dirty clothes... And you go away from people and you live in a cave and you get real old and dirtier. And you just have nothing to do with people. Because you're too spiritual. You sit around and contemplate your navel or whatever it is you do. Okay? This is the text that they use. Do not be bound with unbelievers. Great argument. Great argument. Except for one small flaw. What's the Great Commission? As you are going, make disciples of all people. That's hard to do if I ain't getting around nobody. Oh, really? Remember what they used to accuse Jesus of? He's a friend of drunkards and prostitutes and tax gatherers. And he looked at the religious and said, you bunch of snakes. <laughs> You put heavy burdens on people's back and don't lift a finger to help them. I am not here to come to save the righteous. I have come to save the unrighteous. So when it says, do not be bound together with unbelievers, what must he be speaking of? It's for my daughter. It's my son preparing to marry. I can beat him senseless with this text. Paul is telling us that there are two worlds and there's no possibility of having a relationship of any intimacy with these people. 
Paul says, Corinthians, you have been made pure. You could not have fellowship with that that is impure. Let me share with you. I'll close with this. The Corinthians were in a desperate place to hear this. But you know what is more desperate? You and I this day. And the first thing I want you to understand about this text of not being unequally yoked with unbelievers is there's two worlds. There's only two. Okay. I heard an argument just this week on how good and gracious, charismatic, and amazing was Mother Teresa. Because she opened her doors to the crippled and the cast out of the society of India and she takes them in and she teaches them reading, writing, and arithmetic. Okay? Here's the problem. Mother Teresa, just before her death, had written a paper to the Vatican and arguing for Mother Mary, Jesus' mother, to be co-redeemer with Jesus Christ. To the point, I hear people complain about this, on the Catholic cross, they've got Jesus on the cross, and everybody says, well, see, that's... You can't have Jesus on the cross. He's not on the cross no more. Let me tell you something. That is the least of the Catholics' problems. Okay? They want to put Mary on the backside. Okay, now, I hate to tell you this, but Jesus' mother needed to be redeemed. Okay? If that's her theology at her death, I don't care how many orphans she takes care of. Okay? And I will not be yoked with that. Because the two have no point together. You and I this day are dealing with tolerance. You know what a bigot is? A dictionary definition of a bigot is. It is a person who believes that they are absolutely right and there is no other way. That's what a bigot is. What was Jesus' alternative plan? He believed he was right and the only way. How can I compromise that? For the sake of tolerance? For the sake of, well, just be gracious. And I've had it said to me, well, you just need to say it another way. No, I don't. The problem is we've been saying it another way and it didn't get their attention. I'm going to say it one way. And if you don't like it, 54 churches in this town. Knock yourself out. I ain't compromising it. And yet I watch Christians for the sake of harmony. 
It shows more love if I don't confront it. What'd you just do? I'm trying to mix truth with a lie. So you'll get a better truth? Really? Let me put unclean in with pure. Perfect. Outstanding. And that's why I get with some of these people and all I have to say is, and where is that in the Bible? And they know what I'm saying. I ain't here to debate it. I'm just sitting there going, as Jesus said, have you not read? You know, I had a pastor this week tell me the name of the three wise men. And I just looked at him and I said, you know what? He said, what? I said, you just made that up. <laughs> he goes, what? They don't give us a name, nor does it give us how many, other than there were some wise men. And they've left the planet, and here we stand stupid ever since. See what I'm trying to get at? It's little things like that that you and I, you know, I was listening to them fighting over the nativity scene. Give me a break. Really? With the condition of the church today, I'm worried about the nativity scene? I ain't worried about it. Rhode Island doesn't have a Christmas tree. They have a holiday tree. Well, let's pitch a fit. That's it? I liked it on Black Friday when they had the cameras out there and all these people were fist fighting at the stores because they were out buying Jesus a Christmas present. Perfect. Outstanding. And yet I watch what the church does and we're going to pitch a fit over whether I can have a public nativity scene. Really? But I'm not going to confront sin when I see it. I don't think so. I don't think so. Brothers and sisters, we are not to be yoked with that other world. Okay, let me... That's key. Don't be bound to that other world. Okay? And there's too many, even in this room right now, who are trying to go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I guarantee you this one thing. Just like going back to your kids lying. Okay? We didn't have to teach our kids to lie. All right? Just didn't have to. Okay? I also have learned that we don't have to make, we don't have to teach people to be lazy either. They can, they're pretty good at that. Okay? But one thing that I want you to think about. If you have the influence of the world or the influence of Christ, if you spend more time in the influence of the world, will you act more like Christ or the world? And if you think that you can bounce back and forth, back and forth and back and forth and not be affected by the influence of this world, you're a fool. And you know what? I'm not even going to say that lovingly. You're just a fool because you can't do it. And yet every one of us in this room, I guarantee you at one point in your life, you tried to have a little balance in your life. And you always come out of it smelling like the world. Right? 
That's what we're looking at. When you go into this text and you want to wield it, I'm going to ask you a simple question. What world are you in? Because there's only two. It's only two. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the amazing things you do. Father, it's the Apostle Paul sets our parameters here. Father, may we listen to what he says under the power of your spirit. Father, help us. Help us to understand. Help us to hear. Father, as, as the world just bombards us, um, let us bow before the King of kings and Lord of lords and say, Father, not our ways, not your, our ways, but your way, Father. Father, we don't know your mind, but we know your nature and your character. Let us surrender unto it, to your glory and praise. In Christ's name, amen.